All right, thanks to those who put that together, too. Would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we continue our walk through this uh, letter that Peter wrote to the church? And uh, again, today we're going to be talking about relationships, uh, and it'll be a good, I think, set up for this weekend, too, with our emphasis on marriage this weekend. I'd like to read for us 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Father, help us today to hear what it is you want us to hear. You know our marriages or relationships at work or at school. You know our friendships. And Father, I pray that in all of those areas of life we would honor you that we would be people who are encouraging, people who bless, people who lift up and come alongside to help. And Father, help us to hear again your word and to see how it applies to our situations. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most challenging responsibilities that we have as pastors is to uh, help couples work through a crisis in their marriage. And that happens from time to time when we get into situations where we come to an impasse and so a couple may come in to see one of our staff or pastors to meet with us. And, uh, you know, usually uh, we know the people that are coming in and you look at the situation, you go, you know, I like the husband, I like the wife. I mean, this seems like we ought to be able to work this out, but there's an impasse that they have come to. And sometimes... You know, the, the wife might say something like this, like, I'm tired of trying to do everything I can to hold this together, especially when I feel like he isn't doing his part. Or the husband may say that, you know, I've tried in the past, or I've tried to do these things, and I'm tired of the complaining and the nagging that I hear. And they're, they're frustrated because they've hit this situation where there seems to be no way to resolve it in their mind, and they need help. And again, that can, that can happen to all of us in our relationships. Sometimes the issues that couples struggle with are big issues. They are issues like marital infidelity or mental health issues or sometimes it's a serious financial pressure that they're under or it may be the effects of childhood abuse that are coming out and showing up in their relationship. Those are difficult. And there are many times when we will refer someone to a Christian counselor who's trained to help in those areas because that's a good thing. We need the help of those who can walk with us through those uh, situations in our life. But sometimes couples lack the one thing that they need to make their marriage work. And that is the ability to resolve conflict. That whole area of communication and conflict is so important. That's why we talk about it in terms of marriage relationships or if you've gone to a marriage seminar, you know how important those two areas are. 
Norman Wright, a Christian counselor, used to say that uh, communication is to marriage what blood is to life. I mean, you, you can't make it without those things. And so somehow we've got to learn to build healthy relationships and to be able to communicate and resolve conflict. And I think this passage can help in that regard. In the passage we're going to look at here, Peter lists several qualities that are essential to healthy relationships. And they don't just apply to the marriage relationship. These same principles apply to uh, relationships in the church with one another or at work or at home or at school. They even apply to our enemies. And so we're going to broaden this out a little bit. We'll talk about marriage some, but we're also going to talk about other relationships as well. And there are three things here that I want to point out. Number one, the scripture calls us to live in harmony. And we see that in verse 8. Peter writes, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. The word finally tells us that this is a summary statement. You know, he's been talking about relationships all the way along here. We've talked about our relationship to government, relationship uh, to a boss or an employer in that situation, and relationships in marriage, in the home. And now he's kind of summing this all up, and he says, finally, and then he says, all of you. Now, in the Greek, that means all of you. You know, it's pretty, pretty obvious there uh, that this is applying to every single one of us. No exceptions. And these are things that we are to listen to and to practice in our life and all of our relationships. And he lists five qualities that are essential here in this verse. Five short kind of commands that are given. The one, live in harmony, means be of the same mind. One of the things that you will find in healthy relationships is that people have learned how to get along. That's an important thing. To learn to get along because we're not going to agree on everything. There are going to be times when we will see things differently or we'll, we'll value one priority more than another. And that's not a right or wrong, that's just we're different. But we need to work through that to come to some sort of agreement. We need to learn how to talk about differences without pushing somebody's buttons and making the situation worse. We need to know how to have a fair fight, if you will, and you don't bring up the past and you don't use words like always or never, like you always do this or you never do this, and kind of with an accusatory tone. Those things only hurt the ability to communicate. And so we come and we listen. We want to hear what the other person's thinking about, and we look for ways that we can resolve this or work together. There are times when we need to ask for forgiveness for hurts that we have caused or things that we've said. And all of that is so essential to a relationship. Peter will talk about in the church how we are to work together in unity, striving together, understanding our purpose or our mission and what it is that God has called us to. And at the same time that we're trying to do that, we have an enemy who doesn't want to see that happen. Satan is our adversary, and he wants to divide. He wants to drive a wedge between you and your spouse, or he wants to cause factions in the church and get people to kind of take sides if he can and do that because he hates unity, and especially unity when it comes to following Jesus Christ. 
And so we need to learn how to get along, how to live in harmony. And secondly, Peter says that we are to be sympathetic. And sympathy is the ability to identify with someone who is suffering and to put yourself in their place. And that's an important quality as well, to be able to see things from the other person's point of view or to understand what they are going through and to feel for them. It's what the writer of Hebrews was appealing to when he wrote to the church and he said this about those who are suffering. He said, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. That's what it means to have sympathy or to identify with someone. It's to put yourself in their place. How would you want to be treated? What would you want done for you if you were in that situation? And we could say the same thing about identifying with those who are in the hospital or identifying with those who are dealing with depression or a personal crisis of some sort, uh, those who may be new to our country and what's it like to be new to the United States, or those who are struggling and who are homeless, who are dealing with financial pressures. Sympathy identifies with those people. It puts yourself in their situation and says, what could I do to help? We're not the only ones who need help in doing that. I was reading this story about Nin Cheng, who was uh, a woman who lived in China during the days when Mao Zedong was in power. And he initiated this cultural revolution where he cracked down upon Christians and others who were in that country. And Nin Chang had done well, and she was accused now of being an imperialist spy. It was a baseless charge, a trumped-up kind of thing, and yet she was arrested, she was tortured, and then released. But her daughter was beaten to death during an interrogation. And their family suffered much for their faith. She wrote about her experience and she said this. She said, in the past, I was casual toward other people's suffering. I would pity them, but it would pass. And now I understand what suffering is. I know what it means to be hungry, to be cold, to be alone, to be with no family. So when I hear about other people or meet someone in that situation, I want to help. I know what it means to suffer. That's hard, isn't it? You know, few of us will ever experience any kind of hardships like that, like what she has gone through. In our country, we experience afflictions and trials in other ways, but we have not experienced that kind of persecution. But there are Americans who are in that situation. And today, I would ask you, just as an application on this, to pray for the release of Kenneth Bai. Kenneth Bai is a man who's an American. He's a Christian brother who was taking a group into North Korea, and he was arrested and detained because he had some information about a Christian ministry that was operating there. And he is being unjustly held in that country. And I would ask you to pray for his release, to pray for his freedom. This week I met with a man who's been visiting our church too, who comes from the country of Cameroon. And he was sharing about 
even the persecution that they are experiencing. And in the area where he lives, he said that more than 200 churches have been closed. Uh, Christians have been uh, forced to kind of go underground. Pastors have been arrested, interrogated, or beaten, threatened. And there are brothers and sisters like this who are living in parts of the world where that is their daily experience. And sometimes we're just like what Neen Chang said. We feel sorry for them, but then it passes. We just forget about it. And God wants us to remember those who are in prison as if we were their fellow prisoners. Thirdly, we are to love as brothers, as a family in the best sense of the word. You know, and to be able to do that, to be able to love as the Scripture teaches and to be able to carry out all the one another's in Scripture, to pray for one another or to care for one another and bear one another's burdens and all of those that are given in the Scripture, we need to know each other. And there needs to be a sense of community and family that builds up through our relationships. And that's why we say it here at our church that, you know, uh, being part of the church is more than just coming on a Sunday morning. It's not just coming to the large event of the week where we come and then go and we forget about our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we're really going to be the church, we need to work at those relationships to become a family. It's why we encourage everyone in the church to go beyond Sunday morning to join an ABF or a small group or have some other uh, Christians that you are praying with or meeting with in some way to encourage you. People who know you and people who can come alongside and help you when you're going through a difficulty in your life. We need that. You need that. We need one another. And I think the larger a church grows, the harder that is to have that sense of community And you need to work at it. You need to take the steps to go beyond Sunday morning. And our ABFs here function really like many churches within a larger church, a group of smaller people, and that's why we do the prayer chains there. We have meals that are brought to people when they're uh, in need of a meal, or we have assistance that's given. And our caregiving is really set up through those ABFs. And that's why we want you to be part of what's going on so that we can put this into practice and really care for one another as a family. We are to be compassionate, moved by the needs of others, tender-hearted is what he's getting at. Uh, This week, uh, Jim Elko and I met with three young people who were here from Nicaragua, and uh, they are part of a ministry called On Eagle's Wings, And what they do is they uh, have connected with Feed My Starving Children. They take those manna packs like the ones that we packed here in the fall and they uh, serve those to children. They started out feeding 20 children and through the years the ministry has grown and over the last 10 years it's grown to where now they're feeding 9,000 children every week. Wow. Wow. Uh, They told us that with Feed My Starving Children, uh, Haiti and Nicaragua are the two of the poorest countries where these meals go, and so they've made this connection. And it was just wonderful to hear from them what they are doing. Monday to Friday is what they do, meals for 9,000 children every single week. And beyond that, they are sharing the gospel, they're providing uh, spiritual care and encouragement, they're 
providing recreational activities like soccer, other sports things that they can do as they minister and teach and train and equip these children. What a marvelous ministry. How do we find out about it? Well, there's a woman in our community who doesn't go to our church, but she uh, lives over in Taylor's Falls, and she had on a short-term mission trip gone down to Nicaragua. She met these people, saw what they were doing, saw the work being done both at an orphanage and at this ministry, and she was so moved by it that she wanted to help. And she's the one who invited them to come up here to meet other churches, to just share the word about what they're doing. And she knew of our interest with the mobile pack that we had held here. You know, that's what people do. That's what compassion does. We see a need and we want to do something to help. And each of us, you know, will find those different assignments from the Lord and we're moved by different things. We have people in our church who go into the jails. We have people that are involved with uh, children. We are people that help with homeless uh, in the cities or involved in that. We have people who work at the food shelf or who are involved with um, uh, adoption ministries or things like that. And there are many, many different needs. And when we all get our assignment from the Lord and kind of take our part and what can we do in this area, it works. And the body of Christ grows. And finally, he tells us that we are to be humble. Humility is the opposite of pride and self-centeredness. When people are humble, they aren't thinking about just their own needs. They're thinking about the needs of others. They don't insist on getting their own way. They're looking for ways that they can help or serve or do good to other people. And that's, again, what Peter is reminding us. If we're going to have healthy relationships, it's not going to be all about me. It's going to be about looking for ways that we can serve and help and come alongside of others. In a marriage, that means that we want to honor our spouse. We want to treat them with respect and work together to make the marriage grow. Five things, five short commands, but they are very, very practical. In verse 9, Peter goes on to say that we are also to be a people who bless, that we bless, we don't curse. And where do you think he got that? I mean, that comes right from Jesus' teaching that regarding our enemies, we are to bless them and pray for them. We're not to curse them. And so here he's talking about whether we're looking at relationships in the church or outside the church, we're to live the same way. We're to be kind and compassionate and generous, and we're to be the kind of people that bless others and not curse them. In fact, this passage tells us that there are three kinds of relationships that we can have. We can have an insult-for-insult insult relationship. You know, you look at that in verse 9. He says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. And some people have an insult-for-insult insult relationship. It's the kind of relationship where, you know, if you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, you know, and they just, they keep score, they want to get even, they want to pay back, you know, and they're just involved in this kind of relationship. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that true love keeps no record of wrongs. Keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't seek to hurt, it doesn't seek revenge, it doesn't try to take things into our own hands. You look at an insult-for-insult insult relationship, 
This relationship can be marked by sarcasm or personal attacks. In history, uh, one of the humorous examples that came out was about Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill had that kind of relationship with a woman named Lady Astor. And both were witty and sharp tongued. And I was looking into it because I've heard some of these stories through the years and I was trying to understand why Winston Churchill had this kind of relationship with Lady Astor and who was she. And she was actually a member of Parliament who was on the side that opposed Churchill. They were political enemies, if you will. It'd be like John Boehner attacking Nancy Pelosi or vice versa. They were on opposite sides. And they had this kind of animosity that had been built up through the years. And one day, Lady Astor said to Churchill, she said, Sir, if you were my husband, I'd poison your tea. And Churchill replied, If you were my wife, I'd drink it. (laughs) On another occasion, Lady Astor confronted Churchill about his drinking and said, Sir, you are drunk, drunk, drunk. And Churchill replied, Lady Astor, you are ugly, and tomorrow I'll be sober. (laughs) Ouch. I mean, do you hear the sting in that, you know? And they're going back and forth, and what's kind of funny about that is actually she was quite attractive as a woman. They just didn't like each other. And they had developed this kind of witty barbs that would go back and forth. Sometimes couples can fall into an insult-for-insult relationship, too, and push each other's buttons. And when that happens in a relationship, it can be like a death spiral. It's a downward relationship where people are attacking and hurting, and nobody's needs are being met, and nobody's feeling good about the relationship. Howard Hendricks said that sarcasm is like sulfuric acid to a relationship. The steady drip, drip, drip can just eat away at everything. And I would also want to broaden this a little bit to say to our students, you know, I think about elementary school, middle school, high school, you know, that sometimes kids can pick on one another in a way that's quite hurtful. Words do hurt. And as a Christian, As a student, God doesn't want us to be putting other people down to make ourselves look better or just kind of joining with the crowd and going along and saying things that can be hurtful or mean to somebody else. Instead, even in that setting, in the schools, he wants us to live for Christ, to speak well of one another, to encourage and build up, and to use kind and encouraging words instead of words that would be hurtful and attacking. You know, the second kind of relationship here is a blessing for insult relationship. And this relationship is motivated by a desire to please Christ no matter what the other person does. Jesus taught us to love our enemies and to overcome evil with good. We are to bless and curse not. And he tells us that in regard to our government or regard to our boss or any other relationship. It's not always easy to do. There are times when we may disagree with decisions being made in politics or government or things like that. But God still wants us to guard our tongue and to be careful what we say. 
and to understand that kindness can bring change to a relationship. Proverbs 15.1 says that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Don't fall into an insult-for-insult relationship. Break the cycle by giving a blessing instead. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for your co-workers. If you are finding yourself falling into that relationship in your marriage, pray for your spouse and speak kindly and don't try to get even or to keep score. You know, when I say this, just as a little bit of a caution on the other side so that people don't misunderstand, if there are things that are happening in a relationship, though, that are abusive or hurtful or where there is a crime being committed, this doesn't mean that you just ignore it or that you never say something to those who are in authority. What it does mean is that you don't take justice into your own hands. You don't try to get even yourself. But you do what is the right thing, or you take the right steps, and you do that appropriately. Well, a blessing for insult relationship is better than an insult for insult relationship because it honors God. But the best of all relationships is a blessing for blessing relationship. When two people get that, when they understand what a difference that makes, and in marriage, when couples learn to speak well of one another and praise or encourage or give thanks, it just changes the whole relationship. And instead of being kind of a downward spiral, the relationship grows and there's encouragement that comes. And what we see in a relationship is you tend to receive what you give. I mean, if you uh, smile at someone, you tend to get a smile back. If you say a kind word, you tend to get kind words back. If you show good deeds or do something that is kind and shows your love, you tend to receive that back. People have a way of becoming what we encourage them to be, not what we nag them to be. It is our encouragement with our children, with our spouse, with one another that builds up and affirms and causes people to live differently. And what a joy it is when we have a marriage relationship like that. A few years ago, we invited uh, Dr. Walter Kaiser here to speak at our 25th anniversary as a church, and it was really wonderful to have him here. And he's been a good friend and a mentor to me through the years. And this past Christmas, we got his Christmas letter and it was sad to find out that his wife of 56 years had died in October. And Marge went to be with the Lord. He shared a little bit about that in his loss, and he made this statement. He said, I lost my sweetheart of 56 years. You know, how wonderful and how beautiful is that? That you would so treasure that relationship, that you would speak of your wife as your sweetheart after 56 years. Now, isn't that what we want? Isn't that the kind of marriage that we would like, a relationship, one that has grown through the years where there has been this blessing for blessing and this kindness and love that has been shared? That's God's desire for all of us that are married. And thirdly, what do we do if we are in difficult situations where we're maybe working through some issues or we're struggling to make things go? Well, thirdly, we trust God to work. I love verses 10 to 12 and what it says here. 
Peter closes this section by quoting from Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16. And he says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What a powerful statement that is. And what a perfect illustration it is of the point that Peter has been making here. You see, Psalm 34 was written by David when he was fleeing from Saul. God had told David that he had chosen him to be the next king. He had been anointed by Samuel. And here he is. He is fleeing from Saul and he feels like, man, where am I to go? What am I to do? Uh, David, if anyone ever did, had an unjust boss. I mean, Saul was trying to kill him. And so here is David, and he goes into hiding. He feels all alone with no place to turn. He's had to leave his best friend, Jonathan. And so where does David go? David actually goes to live among the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. And he'll spend a time living among the Philistines, and then he's going to have a period where he's in the caves by the Dead Sea at En Gedi. And then he's even going to go down into Moab to get away from Saul and to flee and to try and preserve his life. And David chose to trust God in his circumstances. Remember those opportunities. There were two of them when David had the opportunity where he could have taken things in his own hand and killed Saul. There was that one time when he was hiding in a cave and Saul had gone in to relieve himself and David was there in the back of the cave. And David snuck up behind Saul and he cut off the hem of his, uh, his garment and he held that. And here Saul did not know it at all until Saul had left, gone out of the cave and then David goes out and he calls to him and he shows him what he had done. And he says, I do not want to kill you. I don't have any intention to harm you. Why are you trying to harm me? And Saul replies that you are more righteous than I am. And surely the kingdom will pass to you. David trusted God in his circumstances. He would not take things into his own hands. And David prayed and he waited on the Lord. And we all know the outcome, that God protected David and exalted him as king. And so here's Peter bringing this to mind as an illustration for those that are wrestling with what do we do? We're living under Nero, this brutal, oppressive emperor. How do we respond? Respond with good. Don't curse. Bless instead. How do we respond to those situations where we may have an a owner or a boss who's not a believer and who's asking us to do some things that are difficult or the workplace isn't a very good environment? Respond as Christ would. And pray for those that are in authority over you. And trust God to work and be an example of one who knows Christ. You know, when he makes this statement, he says, whoever would love, good, love life and see good days... I always, whenever I read that, I think, who doesn't want that? I mean, who doesn't want to love life and enjoy it to the full? Who doesn't want to see good days? Then this is what you must do. Guard your tongue, turn from evil, 
do good, seek peace, pursue it. Why do we do those things? Because God sees. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. When we pray, when we choose to live God's way, God works, and we trust him in our circumstances. So what kind of relationship do you want to have with your spouse or with your friends or with your neighbor or coworkers? Do you want to have an insult for insult relationship and is that what you've fallen into? Not good. Do you want to have a blessing for insult relationship? That's better. That honors God. But the best of all is to have a relationship where there is a blessing for blessing where both people understand what it means to live for Christ and to build up and to encourage one another. The truth is we cannot control how the other person will respond, but we can choose to bless and we can trust God to work in our situation. We can take that first step. Let's pray. Father, as we um, hear a message like this, we're probably all thinking about our relationships and where this applies. And some of us are just uh, so grateful for what you've done, for where we work, or for our spouse and the relationship we have and how you have blessed in that. But many are in situations where there's challenges, there are hurts, and there's difficulties. And God, I pray that you would just give grace to apply this to live for you in a way that honors you and i pray father that you would bring hope and encouragement and ultimately change to those relationships that are not honoring to you we ask that in jesus name amen